you're listening to episode 33 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Welcome and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. Hello and welcome. I have such a fabulous interview for you today. I cannot wait for you to hear it and for you to share your takeaways with me after you have had time to listen and reflect. Remember, this can be a two-way conversation. All you have to do is reach out. I love hearing from you. Before I tell you more about our incredible guest and dive into the interview, I have to tell you about the release of something I have been working on for quite a while. This Friday, my new website launches, and on the day of the launch, so does my Meditations for Equestrians. Now, only four individual meditations will be released that day and can be downloaded and purchased separately. These four are part of an eight-part series to be released in the coming weeks. Also on Friday, I'll be opening the waitlist for my online course launching soon. I have put my heart and soul into these and I am so thrilled for you to finally be able to use them to help you gain more confidence, connection, and control both in and out of the arena. Okay, I've kept you waiting long enough. Let me tell you about my guest today. Today, I'm speaking with Jane Pike. She's the founder of Confident Rider and runs an online program that focuses on mindset, movement, and nervous system awareness for equestrians. Jane is the columnist and feature writer for New Zealand Horse and Pony, Your Horse Magazine, and NRHA. Jane is both knowledgeable and relatable. I know you are going to absolutely love this interview, so let's get right into it. Hey, Jane Pike, thank you so much for being on the show. I am absolutely honored to have you here. Thank you so much, Nikki. It's a total pleasure. I'm super excited. Slightly nervous, actually, but super excited. No worries at all. So it's actually tomorrow where you are right now. Yeah. I'm just just... sending the call out that everything's fine. You can relax for the next 12 to 24 (laughs) hours. No big deals. (laughs) That's fantastic. That's great. It's funny when we were organizing our time for the interview, I was like, wait a second. Like I can't actually do this math. I couldn't figure out, okay, if I have to set it up so that I can do it at a time where my daughter's not home and, and my working time. And yeah. So mm-hmm. thank you for, you know, being with me so early in the morning. I appreciate it. Such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. <laughs> All right. So why don't you start with just explaining to my audience kind of who you are and what you do? I know that you've worked with some fantastic people, but uh, I feel like 
I learned from you through Warwick Schiller and then I now see your ads kind of pop up on Facebook a fair amount mm -hmm. and I've heard people say, oh, right, I've seen that. So just yeah. tell us about that a little bit. Sure thing. Um, well, I have a business called Confident Writer and my main deal under that is working specifically with equestrians in a similar way to you, I think, where I'm, I'm specifically writer focused. So my passion is very much about mindset, emotional intelligence, and also teaching people about the nervous system and how it is that that is impacting the way that they're showing up, the way that they're interacting with their horses, and ultimately how it is their perspective is being formed, really. So there's, there's a few things that I interweave into that. Um, the, the mindset stuff is obviously its own piece, but there's also um, movement skills that I use because I find that to be an incredibly powerful way of integrating all of the different parts together. Um, and then understandings about how it is we operate um, which from my perspective is super empowering because once you understand why things are the way they are and how some of the responses that are coming up, for instance, feeling yourself shutting down in certain situations or being really overwhelmed or feeling anxious, once you understand these as survival responses or responses of the nervous system in response to what you would perceive to be a threatening situation, it's really liberating in that you no longer need to internalize the situation as something that is wrong with you. Mm. And that is the liberation. There are ways of going about these, these, these situations and challenges, ways of restoring balance, which allow us to be much more present, which allow us to be really able to hold space for what it is that our horses are potentially going through and, you know, to be able to come into that partnership in a much more, integrated and conscious way. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I love that it gives the opportunity for our equestrians to see, okay, this is how I'm responding and why. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily something that I feel like I have full control over right now, but it's something I can learn to start to understand and control and, and become empowered by. But it also flips our horse training on the head a little bit and says, oh, okay, this is why my horse is responding the way that they are. And it, you can see the responses for what they are versus the stories that we tend to attach to them. Yeah, absolutely. I think generally and culturally, we come from things from the top up, meaning that here it is, I'm having these negative thoughts or I'm finding myself in this situation, which is feeling too much. So I'm going to change how it is I think about things. I'm going to force myself to be positive and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and we can present this facade. There's the, the classic adage of fake it till you make it, which yes. is, in my experience, makes people feel like they need to kind of show up as something that's yeah. full of pretense. And, and then you get this situation where you're completely out of alignment, where what it is you're thinking, what it is you're feeling and what it is you're projecting mm -hmm. are completely different disparate parts. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is to let go of that model where you're essentially going to war with yourself, you know, where mm -hmm. you feel like your inside isn't good enough or what it is you're thinking is, you know, there's something wrong with you and potentially that leads to a whole different story, but actually to say, okay, how is it that we can be sensitized to what it is that's going on inside of us? So we recognize when we're getting to the edge of our zone where we feel like we've got this, 
and be able to resource ourselves to come back into that place. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And it's so liberating when you get to actually own how you're feeling with your horse yeah. versus saying, okay, I'm going to suck it up right now. And I got to, I got to pretend like I'm okay in a situation that I'm feeling fearful in order for my horse to feel okay. When in yeah. actual fact, showing up with that lack of coherence communicates the complete opposite that we're looking yeah. for to our horse. And, and it's, it's lovely to be able to just say, okay, I'm actually, I'm feeling a little scared and showing up in that state in order to be able to create action uh, is really, uh, I said empowering already once, but it is really empowering. Yeah, I completely agree. Also just viewing things on a continuum instead of mm -hmm. being so compartmentalized in how we're viewing things because we're really attached to labels. Yes. So it's like, I am anxious or I'm afraid yes. or I'm X, Y, and Z. You can fill in the, the blank with whatever it is that you want. But mm -hmm. instead, if you're thinking of things from a systemic perspective, mm -hmm. you can understand that, you know, when I'm in the place where I'm feeling really balanced and I feel I'm essentially in a place where my resources are outweighing my stresses. So mm -hmm. I can draw on things to actually help me uh, move through and integrate anything which might be disruptive that's happening mm -hmm. in that moment. And then if you think about, if we use the example of anxiety, because that's such a prevalent one mm -hmm. that exists on the flight channel, meaning that I'm wanting to move away from something when I feel anxious, I want to get out of here. I want to, you know, split ranks. I want to just bolt basically, depending on how intense that emotion feels, but that starts with a little bit of concern that starts with a little bit of rumination perhaps. And so that's the continuum within that channel where we become sensitized really for the most part to only two main points, which is here it is, I feel totally okay. Here it is, I feel totally not okay. And there's actually a trajectory that exists between those two polarities that we need to become aware of so that as we start to walk along that road, we're like, oh, okay, here it is. I'm starting to get a little bit outside of myself. How is it that I can come back into my body, flip my lid back on, which is basically mm -hmm. make sure that I'm in touch with that higher part of my wisdom, you know, my brain to, to be able to access the logic that's available to me and decide how it is I intentionally want to direct, want to direct this energy as opposed to it becoming bigger than my body and me feeling like I'm no longer in control of it. Mm -hmm. In your work, have you found it difficult for people to let go of the labels that they've placed on themselves to explain to themselves why they feel the way that they do or why they react the way that they do? Typically, people come in with a pretty big stranglehold on how they mm -hmm. define themselves. Mm -hmm. And those labels, for better or worse, have created they've created an identity around them. But mm -hmm. what, what my experience has also shown is that as soon as you offer a way of understanding them from the perspective of the nervous system they're like oh that feels like such a relief like people mm -hmm. aren't wanting to hold on to these ideas about themselves for the mm -hmm. most part it's just been the only explanation they've been offered as mm -hmm. to why they feel that way and once they understand that actually this is what happens when you get out of whack you know this is mm -hmm. what happens when you've been marinating in cortisol or adrenaline for a long period of time this is this is kind of where we go. And as a culture and society that for the most part is pretty addicted to endless productivity and go, go, go. Mm -hmm. We are all operating in a fairly uh, 
wired space. Yeah. I think we're all kind of up there already. And then when it comes to doing something, which is supposedly for many of us, our pleasure and our joy and that opening arises where we're no longer forced to do things by other people, that's where things start to come up and you're like, why is this happening? Why am I feeling this way? And yeah, and, um, yeah so it, it, is a, it is a liberation in, for the most part that I found. I talk a lot about the nervous system and systems and so on and so forth. We are all really unique as well. So there is a little bit of magic and a little bit of mystery in there that's not completely definable. And I love that too. It's like we have to hold on to that, that, that piece of our humanity also where it's like we're not just systems and re mm -hmm. reflexes and reactions. We're like there's a little bit of something, something in there that we don't completely understand. And I like that we don't completely understand it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny because my path started kind of more on a spiritual path at first mm -hmm. and it was very individual and then it kind of fed into my horse world. And now I've crossed into a more scientific side of things where like, wow. I'm, I can't get enough of Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. I'm like yeah. all about it. That's all I want to listen to. Um, because I'm looking at, okay, how has, how have these things that have worked, um, to be able to heal me in different areas? How is that scientifically backed? Because that's actually where in the past I would have been more comfortable. So it's kind of gone full circle, but I love that you say, you know, there's, you have that really concrete science piece, but there's always that mystery. Yeah. And I think that's why we love horses so much. Completely. Yeah, right? completely. I, I agree with you as well. I think that the, the reality of, you know, coming from whatever perspective you come at it from, the understanding that I've developed is that things actually coexist. It's not one or the other. It's like you have the spirit and you have the science and the spirit is the heart. The science is perhaps the head and you need both of them together mm -hmm. and without them you're suffering you know mm -hmm. without one or the other you're suffering in one direction and so it's um for me it's that multitasking your awareness to realize that things can coexist and that they aren't mutually exclusive being mm -hmm. that you know something can be really challenging but it could actually be really enjoyable at the same time mm -hmm. those two things aren't an exclusive state so it's um I, I, yeah i love that you said that i completely yeah. agree thanks so much jean okay uh, I have an exercise, sort of an exercise, I guess I'll use that word, uh, to do with you that I'm really excited for because I feel like when I was going through your website, these were three words that like popped out to me immediately. Um, so I'm just going to say one word at a time and I want you just whatever pops into your head about that particular word to just say what you want to say. And I don't even care if it takes you on like this long, giant long tangent. Potentially that will happen. <laughs> All right. I know myself enough now. Yeah. <laughs> so the first word is presence. Oh, presence. That's such a beautiful word. Mm. So to me, when I think about presence, I think about here I am taking up all of the space that's owed to me. I'm connected to my body. I'm aware of the edges of my skin and I'm connected to my environment and what it is I'm in relationship with in that moment. And so for me, that's the ultimate place that we're looking to arrive at. It's like, how is it that I can maintain this experience that I find in front of me and not let it get bigger than my body? Because as soon as it gets bigger than my body, that's where I feel like I need to, that's where I abandon myself, where I feel like I need to revert or move into a response that's based on survival and coming from that much more primal place. But when I'm in a place of presence, I'm fully integrated with my higher wisdom, 
um, honouring the situation and, and unable to access everything that I have available to me to hopefully um, be a healthy and helpful participant in that. Yeah. That's awesome. I literally like, as soon as you said, like, feel my skin, I got goosebumps and chills because that, that is exactly, and I, it creates a visual when you say, when it gets bigger than your body, mm -hmm. it creates a visual about the emotion that happens or, or the, the tide of emotions that happen when we experience something that gets bigger than our body. That's very, yeah. 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 If you think of yourself like a container, the ultimate for me or a lot of what my work is centered around is how is it that we can hold this experience within our body to be a container for that experience. And the process I think of mastering quote unquote emotions is actually mastering the physiology of the emotion. Meaning that when I get that experience in my body, how is it that I can stay in control of that energy so I'm intentionally directing it mm. rather than feeling like it's hit me like a tsunami and now I don't have choice about how it is I'm using that information, basically. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to say the next word because I feel like it's going to flow into sure. or what we just said flows into this one. So yeah. how about embodiment? Oh, it's another really beautiful word. So embodiment is directly connected to presence i think so when you're kind of embodied that's where you're at your you have a connection to yourself in relationship to what it is that's going on and beyond that as well i think if we bring in the intuitive piece of having that internal gps system or that walkie-talkie system between your gut and your brain fully online so that there is this access beyond just your physical self but you're you're in touch with that flash of insight that's like, huh, maybe you should try this or maybe that would be a good idea. And if you bring the logical part of yourself online at that point, it might be like, well, where did that even come from? Or how did I think about that? You know, but, mm. but to me, that's embodiment. It's all of the integration of kind of like above and below. And, and here we are as we, as we go through it. So really working with all of the intelligence as the, your emotional intelligence, your logical intelligence, your intuitive intelligence and your physical intelligence and having those all be um, active and honored and kind mm -hmm. of tuned in in the moment. Yeah. Awesome. So the first time that I had really become curious about the word embodiment, I went to a workshop with Anne Barube and she wrote the mm -hmm. book, Be, Feel, Think, Do. And it was an embodied leadership workshop. And I sat there going, this is what every horse owner needs. Yeah. embodied yeah. leadership that, that explains exactly how we need to be showing up for our horses yeah. um, in any yeah. way, every way. Um, I think it was a, it's a huge part of the reason why I incorporate movement work and often start with movement work now, because it's one thing to have an intellectual understanding about something. And we're really primed for that. Like our education system really values logical understanding mm -hmm. and you know, why, well, why, but why can you explain that? And, and it's over, we've almost, we have a hyper-developed sense of our logical intelligence. It's perhaps the most valued logical intelligence, uh, intelligence that you can sort of talk about. Emotional intelligence is starting to come back into vogue if you want to talk about it like that. But it's been something that's been typically understood as untrustworthy, you know, maybe even attached to the feminine or a female way of going about things of like, oh, she's so emotional. You know, it's seen as like a negative. It's not seen as a, as a positive thing, but we're starting to, reevaluate or understand our um un understand our understanding if that's a, a yeah. way of not a really good way of articulating it but um 
yeah, for me, the movement work, if I can give a felt sense of what it is I'm explaining about, it's so much more transferable because of course, when we're working with our horses, thinking you can think your way into something and out of something, but essentially that line of communication between them is a felt one. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're asking of us. It's like an energetic mm-hmm. connection. It's a, it's a felt connection. And so when we talk about something like activation and settling in the system, which is what I talk about a lot, um, it's like, how do I feel that? How do I register in my body when I'm perhaps a little bit more up so mm-hmm. I can start to recognize when that up's going to an unhelpful place? Mm-hmm. And when is it that I can recognize that I can come back down and that down regulation? And for me, that's embodiment as well. It's like connected to the language of sensation and feeling as opposed to just words and thoughts and and the usual stream of um, information that flows through our brain space at any one time. (laughs) So can you give us an example of what one of the movement pieces look like for you? Yeah, sure. So they're very simple. They're really accessible. It's not, um, it's not exercise per se. So when I'm talking about movement, I'm not talking about you're going to go for a 5k run or you're going to do an activity that usually the activities are not so much about the activity itself, but what Mm -hmm. the awareness is that's gained as a result of that activity. And one of my favorite ones actually just involves throwing a ball and I throw the ball. So no, nobody can see me right now, but I've just got a little ball in front of me and I just throw the ball up and down and then I get people to work with that ball in different ways. So it's like, okay, so I just throw the ball up and down and then maybe we're going to change hands now. And I'd like you to do it with your eyes closed, for instance. So there's a little mm-hmm. bit of a process that goes um, that you go through with this. But once you get to the eyes closed part, then you start to notice that without the visual reference point, there's a little bit of concern or perhaps a little bit of anxiety that you're not going to be able to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. And so when I throw the ball with my eyes closed and catch it again, what I notice is just before I catch it, I have a little spike in my catch the ball, where's the ball in face? And that is the first seed of activation. That is the first seed of cortisol kind of coming into our body that prepares us to do something that perhaps is novel or a little bit challenging. And so when you recognize that that is how that feels in your body, when you're feeling a little bit of a spike in a, in a situation that's completely controlled, like if I drop the ball, nothing gives, no one's hurt, right. doesn't matter. Yeah. But then I can wait for the settling before I throw the ball again. And it just allows you to recognize, huh, when I did it at the beginning, I was kind of on the hamster wheel. I wasn't really recognizing how fast I was throwing the ball. I wasn't modifying it in any way. And now I've got myself to the stage where I recognize, actually, if I increase the level of difficulty to the point where there's just a little bit of challenge in it, my body responds with a little bit of kind of anticipation towards that. That is the first spike in activation that really precedes anything that we do and it's not necessarily that it has a negative connotation but it can do if you're geared in that way mm-hmm. but it just allows you to gain that felt sense of that's what it feels like to feel activated that's what it feels like when my body comes back down mm-hmm. now if i take that information and say okay how is it that i can act from the settling rather than from the spike mm-hmm. and it's just a really basic activity that's been so transformative for me because I'm like, okay, when I'm out there, am I acting from up or am I allowed, am I acting from the point of sort of the baseline? Right. And, um, and then moving on from that understanding, okay, so we can cultivate a feeling of centeredness and groundedness within us, but the outside world can move with power at the same time. Meaning that, you know, I can be on my horse and cantering 
but that power doesn't mean I have to match it with a speed that is existing inside, you know? So I can be operating from a place of settling and groundedness and the world can be moving quite fast, but that doesn't mean my internal energetic world has to match what's happening. And it's a way of starting to recognize I can maintain this stability and and transfer that through to potentially quite high power states mm-hmm. without feeling like I lose my own anchor point or, or center line in the process. I love that. And it actually led into a really good question because I put it out there for my audience just to ask me a question. If they have a question around confidence and mm-hmm. as you were describing this, I'm like, oh, this is a perfect op- opportunity. So Katie Hutchings asked, how do you move past the fear of imperfection? So what she's having a problem with is the fact that she doesn't feel like she's good at cantering. And Mm -hmm. so she is not cantering and knows Mm -hmm. that she's not going to get better because she's not doing it. So she's, she was asking for advice on how does she get out of her own head and start to move forward through that? So there's a few different strands to this question that I would address in the first instance. And if we think about the core of it, which we started with, which was this idea of perfectionism and this idea of not being good enough, potentially, mm-hmm. um, is that correct in that assumption mm-hmm. from, from drawing from that question? Yeah. yeah. So what I find really interesting about this is that for the most part, this is beyond an individual feeling state, mm-hmm. meaning that pretty much everyone I work with, I would actually say everyone I work with has some degree of not good enoughness Mm -hmm. in their life. And when that is the case, when it, when it moves beyond just an individual or a handful of individuals, then we can start to say, okay, what is it about the social and cultural models that we're working in that are actually telling us that we aren't good enough Mm -hmm. and our, and how is it that that's informing the way that we're showing up in the world and the way that we're showing up in our writing. And from my perspective, we are, what's raining down on us is this idea that of winning and losing this binary that we, that we exist in that you're either good at it or you're not good at it. You've either won or you've lost. It's like, it's all or it's nothing. And those are the two states that we unconsciously, so it's not necessarily a conscious decision, but we're participating in all of the time. And it's this striving, this constancy between like, here it is that I rest and there it is I want to be. And you even hear the words all the time. How is it that I can be a better person? How can I bring my best self? Which implies that the self that you are now is actually not okay or not good enough compared to this future version. So I know that seems like a big, big tangent to take, but actually that is the scene of it, right? It's sort of informing this whole not good enough, not good enoughness. Mm -hmm. And so we can deal with it on an individual level, but we also have to recognize that that binary has been set up. And so how do we disengage from that in a way that allows us to decide, well, how do we take action that actually aligns with the values that are important to us and what's important to us? and recreate a version of success that actually fits that so that we're not Mm. constantly trying to hit these targets that a, we don't even really realize that we're trying to hit and Mm -hmm. be unhittable in so many ways. So it's Mm -hmm. like this constant hamster wheel that that keeps going on. I know that didn't talk about the canter. I've gone a bit universal on you there. That's okay. But I, I like, I like that you're saying, so really in order for us to get beyond 
this not feeling good enough. We have to tune into ourselves and say like, okay, what do I believe? What are my values? What? And a lot of people haven't dug into that sort of yeah. work with themselves. Yeah. What game am I playing? Like, where yeah. is it? What? So, it, so what would be good enough? And who mm-hmm. gets to decide that? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like, who, who am I looking to please? At what point is that question answered? Yeah. And when you start to play those, you know, those sort of questions to yourself, you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, who is it that I'm trying to like, please? And what, at what point would it be good enough? And will mm-hmm. it ever be good enough? And, and you can see the exhaustion that can result as a, as a consequence of sort of playing into that conversation eternally, which we all do mm-hmm. at some point. Um, so when it comes then to the actual practical nuts and bolts of canter and, and not cantering, there are a few reasons as to why that's possible. The first is if we think instead about canter as eliciting an energetic resonance, walk would have a lower energetic resonance than a canter, for instance, mm-hmm. it just produces a more power. And if we, we think back to the conversation that we had around capacity or something not getting bigger than the edges of your skin, the amount of activation, which is the same as energy that we can hold in our body pretty much dictates how present we can be with an experience before we move into flight mode or shut Mm. down or feel like we have to defend ourselves in some way. And that's true of canter as well. If that produces an energy that exceeds your comfortable capacity, then you actually need to grow your capacity for that Mm. amount of power so that you're able to comfortably hold it. Um, So that's one aspect, like, is it a question of capacity? Is this taking you to a place that's not useful to you? The second thing is competency. So we need Mm -hmm. to really make sure, like, are you cantering because you feel like on some level you don't have the skills to manage potentially what might come up? And that's a very legitimate question because safety is Mm -hmm. always going to be the baseline. If you don't feel safe, no amount of coaching or positive Mm -hmm. thinking is ever going to override that because that is the basic instinct of the body to maintain safety. And so it's not a closed door at that point either, which is the the next part that people get to. It's like, no, I don't have the skills. It's like, okay, well, that's information too, right? Like how are we going to get you to the place where you have the skills, where you feel like if this eventuality was to arise that I could competently manage that. It's different from feeling comfortable I think people wait to feel comfortable about an experience. And the reality is that comfort is not the goal. I think Mm -hmm. that's something to be aware of as well, that, you know, when I feel comfortable, then I'll know I'm ready to canter. And it's like, well, if you're not cantering, and if that's something that exists just outside your comfort zone now, it's probably not going to feel that great when you Mm -hmm. first do it. Mm -hmm. And if you're waiting for it to feel great, you're probably going to wait a really long time because that's just not the, not the setup point basically. Um, And the third point that I would be really interested in in unpacking is, well, are you intuiting or picking up something from your horse that's telling you that this experience isn't great for them either? Because that's something that we don't want to overlook as well. We are in a partnership. This is a co-communication that's happening. And there have been times in my life where I'm like, why do I feel like this? Like, why is this such a block for me? And then I realize, oh, actually my horse isn't super comfortable or he's communicating a level of tension that's not okay. And, mm-hmm. and if you think the, the basic question or statement that I come back to is, well, if you add power to tension, you just get more tension. Absolutely. And that's true of horse and rider. So it's like mm-hmm. if you're operating from a baseline of tension, you pack a whole another couple mm-hmm. of watts on top of that, then it's just going to magnify and the same for yeah. your horse. So I think those pieces are really important to consider um, mm-hmm. and to, 
to really get yourself to a point where it's like, if this is a stress, essentially what I have is a crystal ball. Like I know I'm looking at the future in advance. I know this is a challenge for me. How can I support myself through this in a way that makes it feel more easeful or more manageable as I go into it? Um, so mm -hmm. I hope that wasn't too ambiguous, but those are the sort of points that I would look at. No, so. that's fantastic. And I love the idea of looking at it and saying from an intuitive place, why exactly am I feeling this way? And am I, am I actually feeling something that I can trust a little bit more? So rather than it feel yeah. like it's something that's wrong with you, mm -hmm. dig into it a little deeper and say, it, there's, there's a reason for the feeling, whether it be that you've, you're feeling this general sense of not being good enough, or is it mm -hmm. an actual physical feeling um, and that you just don't recognize in your body yet because you haven't been tuned into that intuition. Yeah, yet. absolutely. Yeah. I've noticed that something that comes up a lot, especially around the conversation of anxiety in that when someone has experienced anxiety or a kind of imbalanced state of being for a long period, meaning that they're kind of living in that space, mm -hmm. they start to tune out from very real signals in their environment of things they should pay attention to. Mm -hmm. and start to assume that it's all on them all of the time, meaning that, oh, it's just my anxiety. You know, here yeah. it is, I am feeling anxiety again. And actually, it's not, it doesn't exist as a block like that. Like, yeah. there, there are going to be times where you do pick up something from your horse which needs to be paid attention to, and being able to pass apart that experience to realise there's much more nuance than mm -hmm. we allow ourselves to um, entertain is really important. Um, so that you're not gaslighting yourself as you go through it of like, oh, it's not, don't pay attention. You know, like right. What well, you're over exaggerating. Like it's, yeah. Um, and sometimes that will be the case, but not always. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And just learning how to trust yourself in order to be able to tune into that. Completely. Um, it, and yeah. that takes a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of work. Yeah. Because we're trained out of it in yeah. so many ways. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say one more word and then I have a couple, like, I think three more questions and sure. we're, uh, I don't want to take up too much time, but let's talk about emotional intelligence. Wow. That's kind of, it's the, a lot. What, 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 <laughs> let's well, let's what, touch in, on emotional yeah, intelligence, shall we? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's so embodiment presence and emotional intelligence are like this fluid system mm -hmm. that all work together. So we, we're talking about them in a, in a segmented way, right. but actually they're all in yeah. conversation and kind of fluid. Yeah. Like if you were to throw a few different sorts of oil paint or water paint onto a, onto a canvas that they would all land together in the, in a similar kind of space. So right. emotional intelligence, I think is being able to recognize emotions as messages, as action mm -hmm. requiring messages but once you've mastered the physiology of that experience, meaning that I can, I can live in the fight channel, I can access my warrior if I want to, I can hold anger in my body without it spilling out of me, mm. then emotional intelligence to me is being tuned in enough to the directive, meaning that hmm, this is the response that's come up in me. I feel kind of cross about this or I feel a little bit unsure about this or I feel X, Y, and Z about this, not seeing that as an instruction, meaning that hmm, I'm angry. So now I'm going to lose my temper at you. I mean, I'm talking mm -hmm. about this in very kind of black and white terms or I'm anxious. So now I definitely have to leave and this is never going to be possible for me, mm -hmm. but instead seeing it as information. So there's an intentional pause about what arises 
and then having enough mastery of the physiology of it to decide whether to act on it or not. Meaning that how is it that I want to use this energy? Is this able to be alchemized into a different sort of power that I can use to constructive benefit? And I think that's really the part of the practice with our horses in that it's unrealistic and perhaps a little bit of what is purported or sort of put forward out there is we're wanting to get to this place of you know acceptance and kindness and unending compassion which is fantastic but also pretty unrealistic from most of us all of the time and so when we're trying to always be benevolent and like a good person and all of these types of things which is i'm not saying those aren't lovely aspirations but <laughs> the reality is as part of your humanity there mm-hmm. are going to be times where you feel really frustrated or kind of like cross or you're having a funky day and if you don't let yourself understand that as part of your whole experience you'll never mm-hmm. learn how to ground and center in the midst of it and so this is where there's no such thing as a taboo in i, I try to really like um destigmatize anger even like mindful anger is a thing it's a necessary thing it's a that's what connects you to your backbone that's what allows you to set a boundary all of these that's what allows you to kind of connect to the feeling that you matter it's not a bad thing but we have negative associations with different aspects of our emotion because of what we've been trained to think because we haven't had healthy role models in that area that allow us to express things in a way that isn't hurting someone or ourselves Mm -hmm. um but but so to me that's emotional intelligence it's like how do i firstly become aware of what it is that i'm feeling create a pause between it so i can decide how i want to act on that information and be able to contain it again within the edges of my skin so that i'm in control of where that energy is directed and how it is it's utilized Mm -hmm. and with our emotions do you feel like you know, with the way that we've been taught or not taught about our emotions, that because we're not working through them on a conscious level, that when we feel that emotion come up, whether it be that we then attach guilt to it or shame to it, and then we shove it back down, and then we just pile another guilt-ridden experience on top of it and pile another one on top, and then all of a sudden you have this blow up and, and like you say, it kind of becomes bigger than your body versus being able to recognize those feelings for what they are and that they are healthy um, and they are safe. I think that that you speak about safety a lot. And I think when we feel those emotions, we've been taught that a lot of our emotions are unsafe. Yeah, unsafe and unacceptable. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to be a good person and you're feeling something which your perception of that is unacceptable, you're going to shove that back down. But it Mm -hmm. doesn't it doesn't disappear, it mutates. Yeah. And that's the, that's the festering. Uh, that's yeah. the festering. I, I am pretty unpassionate about a lot of things, but <laughs> one of the things that I've noticed and certainly has been true for myself in the past is that anxiety is so prevalent, but alongside of that, it's also one of the most socially acceptable mm. emotions when we're feeling out of whack, especially mm-hmm. for women. And I work predominantly with women. And once we start to actually unpack things, what can come to light is that actually you're not feeling anxious. You're actually kind of really mad about something. Mm -hmm. And because it's not okay to feel mad or because this perception of an angry woman is not one that's positive. Mm -hmm. You know, if I think about an angry woman, there's so many different associations which crop up in in my mind. 
that's not as supported. It's like, well, you really need to do something about how you feel, you know, right. but if you're anxious, it's like, oh, okay. You know, I've got a friend that feels anxious. There's kind of like solidarity in anxiety. Yeah. So we, we start to, to label or understand every feeling that comes up that creates a little bit of power in our body is, oh, I'm anxious. It's, oh, I'm this anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so we lose the nuance. Like I say, we lose the ability to recognize, actually, I'm not anxious. I'm pretty angry about that. Or I, I feel like I've been taken advantage of, or there's no respect for my time or like I'm strung out, like, and that's mm -hmm. not okay. So the, 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 the end game, I guess, is for us to be able to be familiar with mm -hmm. and responsive to every aspect of our experience. So there are no taboos. Mm -hmm. So that if I need to defend myself, I'm able to go to that place. I'm able to use my voice because that's part of a mobilization as well. Mm -hmm. I'm able to use my voice. I'm able to use my body to say, no, that's not okay. Without that experience overwhelming me to the point where I lose my own agency. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I live there. But it means if I need to, to do that, that's available to me and I have enough of a uh, connection to that for that to be okay. Now, when you think about writing, because it might be like, well, how is this, you know, how mm -hmm. is this re relevant to writing? It's relevant in a lot of ways, relevant in relationships because we're still having relationships with coaches and I see a lot of boundary weirdness mm. and power struggles in coaching relationships where someone just doesn't feel like they have the capacity to actually even vocalize what it is they need or say what is or isn't okay for them. Mm -hmm. But again, there's a lot of talk about accessing your vulnerabilities, which of course is fantastic and necessary, but your vulnerabilities coexist with your strengths. Mm -hmm. And to me, you can feel afraid or fearful, but that's not necessarily information that tells you that you're going down the wrong path. It mm -hmm. can be, but it's not always. It's sometimes your body just preparing you to do something for you. And so the energy of being able to connect to your, to your backbone, I say, or to kind of access your center, which is that fight energy um, in its positive manifestation is like the alchemy or the fire that we need to say, actually, I can do this. I'm okay. I've got this and to step up and it's not power over. It's not dominance over. It's not using your physical self in a way that's hurtful to your horse or anyone around you. Absolutely not. It's like mm -hmm. a channeling of empowerment basically to sort of say, Hmm, I can do this. This is fine. Mm -hmm. Or that's not okay. And, mm -hmm. and that's where it's really important to, to be able to access that. So um, for me, it's, yeah, that responsiveness is if I need to go away from something or to sort of retreat or to be, the very passive entity in this relationship I can, that's familiar. If I need to move towards this, I can, but I can also rest. I can also relax. Mm -hmm. I can also be open and, you know, receive the good stuff because I haven't mentioned that so much, but that's <laughs> synonymous with it. You know, yeah. like it's like if you're cutting off one thing at one end of the spectrum, you're cutting off other stuff, which is the stuff that we perceive as wanting to have, which is like, right how do I hold a compliment? How do, how do I hold good experience? You know, how do I let the good stuff in? How yeah. do I rest? All of those sorts of wonderful things. Yeah. So, Cause yeah. we feel so familiar, I guess the feeling of anxiety or the feeling of tension or fear becomes our so familiar in our bodies that bringing, allowing joy to come in and sit mm -hmm. feels mm -hmm. maybe a little more scary. Well, yeah the anxiety can give us the illusion of control. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm constantly on the lookout for things that might go wrong, then I'm perhaps going to be able to prevent them and I'll right. keep myself safe. But yeah. it's 
it's illusory. And once we get stuck in that place of hypervigilance, then we can get to the stage where any sort of opening or expansion feels unsafe, like we're free falling. Mm -hmm. And so there's a reflexive movement back to tension because that's what feels like is yeah. the safe ground for us. And so being able to move in a way where expansion opening mm -hmm feels like a possibility and feels contained and safe as well is the practice. Mm -hmm. um, and if you think about getting a compliment, there's an energy that comes with getting a compliment to its activation as well. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, and, yeah. and do you feel like you need to rebut that or kind of like pong it away or like, how does yeah. that, how does that work? Yeah. Sorry. Oh no. Like, yeah, yeah. Not <laughs> yeah. Me. yeah. Yeah. Oh, actually, did you see that horrendous thing I did? Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. You don't know me. I'm actually not a good person. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> It's, it's funny because we can use our horses as motivating factors in my opinion, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's hard to convince ourselves to do the hard work just for ourselves and it eventually mm -hmm. becomes about us. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times I will use someone's horse as their motivator in order to help show the places that they can go personally and, and to not necessarily change, but to grow in. Um, yeah. And then they get translated into their horsemanship journey and they're like, oh, great. Mm -hmm. Like I see this happening. So two ways to motivate us to kind of broaden our emotional intelligence could be that we don't want those experiences to end up our horse to be on the receiving end of those experiences, which I see happen a lot. Um, we have the, those build up and then the horse just happens to be the trigger that day of something that yeah. like gets them to flip their lid. And then uh, again, we attach the story to it. So then we're not feeling into the situation. And then the other part of it is just to be able to have your horse be the thing that allows you to practice it. So if you feel like you are uncomfortable doing the work alone. So I know that like the first time I sat down at home to meditate, it's almost like you're so used to having people watch you or people because we're on yeah. social media or there's always people around. So then when you're actually alone and nobody can see you, it feels almost uncomfortable. And you're like, how dumb do I yeah. look right now? Like, yeah. Yeah. what do I look like? Is anyone watching? Yeah. Right. What's like, what if somebody comes in the driveway? I can't sit like I this. Know, like, right. So, yeah. so it gives us an opportunity to actually feel like we're not in that as much of an alone state as maybe we're uncomfortable in when we're not used to being with ourselves in that way. And then yeah. um, we can use our horses as a place to be able to practice those, those yeah, things. So true. So true. I often said to people that I'm working with, especially in my group, it's like, how many of you would do this work if it wasn't for your horses? They're like right. the permission slip, if you like, that like lets us dive in because of course, naturally we're talking about horses and riding, but there's a lot of conversation that extends oh, yeah. beyond that, you yeah. know, where it's nothing to do with horses so right. much. It's to do with relationships or right. life in general. And it all feeds in, doesn't it? It's all mm -hmm. one and the same. Well, there's two lines from your website that I wrote down and one was, horses and life are impossible to separate. And mm -hmm. that is the motivating factor to my work. I like yeah. exactly what you're saying where people will come together and they'll have these conversations and all of a sudden you're, you were work, talking about working horses and now they're talking about how they handle the situation with their loved one. Yeah, exactly. It's like the domino effect, right? Yeah. It's, um, I read something, um, 
I'm probably going to pronounce his name incorrectly. I think it's Charles Duhigg. He writes a lot about habits. Okay. But he talks about cornerstone habits and basically where you focus on just one area of your life that you change a habit in. And it might be, I'm just going to wake up at 5 a.m. every day or I'm just going to go for that run in the morning or whatever it is. And even though that habit seems to have no flow and effect to other areas of your life, just instigating that one pillar actually changes the trajectory of your entire day. And it's been so observable that like, you know, you can focus on your horses and maybe it's like, it starts with, oh, I had an injury and I got bucked off and now I don't feel confident or like the question that we had, like I feel nervous to canter and all of a sudden that becomes like, oh, my relationship and oh, my work and like, and you're like, wow. It's a, and to me, it just does, there's no surprises anymore, but it's a, it's a constant flow on of like, how did that one little thing, like I joined because I like broke my finger and now I'm like, you know, all of these things are happening and it's, um, yeah. it's really beautiful. I love it. I love yeah. that part of it. Me too. It's funny because you, you literally can't separate them. It's all about connection and all about communication. Yeah. And you, right? just, you so. bring yourself, right? There's right. no different self yeah. that arrives. At, um, exactly. You bring yourself. So, <laughs> Sometimes yeah. the horses just motivate us a little yeah, more exactly. than exactly. <laughs> some other relationships. Um, yeah. So, and then the other one was you have to look to yourself before you turn to your horse. Mm. And that is so powerful. Yeah. I think that that's the linchpin, right? Like I I want to be able to piggyback my horse off my own good feeling, if Mm. you like, in terms of one of the things that I learned way back, and I know this might seem like a little bit of a side note, but it's, it informs this is that um, all mammals gravitate towards the most regulated nervous system, Mm. meaning that in a herd of horses, the, the, the horse that's the most, stable and res- and appropriately responsive meaning that you know if i do need to go i can go but if i don't need to go i won't and the horses gravitate towards that sense of stability and that's what we need to be creating like we need to self regulate so that we have that you know that unshakable core if you like in the ideal mm-hmm. world it doesn't always work like that but in the ideal world so that we are sending this bi-directional flow of good feeling towards mm-hmm. them and stability so they feel there is a sort of container of support for them to be able to express mm-hmm. what they need to express and, and learn to emotionally self-manage as well. So it's all like we're doing the same work essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Exactly. When I think of that, I think of my husband's very black and white when he works with horses. And when I see someone who there's, we love our animals so much, right? Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of the times when we're working with them, that outpouring of love actually comes about in really great communication. Mm -hmm. And he absolutely loves these animals, Mm -hmm. but he is also, his personality is black and white. There's just no gray with him. So these horses who, you know, sometimes he might get to a pressure that this owner would never have even dreamed they'd have to get to and might feel a little uncomfortable with. And they're shocked at how drawn to him their horse becomes. And it's, it's mm-hmm. a little bit of an eye-opener when those horses become drawn to a person that they just put a fair amount of pressure on. But at the same time, it was so clear as to why horses love it. Yeah, yeah. I, that's such an interesting lesson, isn't it? I think especially oh, for someone like me where it's you know, you just want to give everything when you Mm. love something. It's like, give, 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 give. And actually the boundary of clear is kind is the, 
So I have a t-shirt good. that says clear it or soft Isn't, is strong, clear is kind. I love that. Right. I love that statement. And also um, that we have this, we, we mistake, I think, empathy, love and mm. caring for passivity yeah. almost, you know, like yeah. just whatever you want. And it's not, that doesn't feel the yeah. best to yeah. the other side. So yeah, I love, I love with that. horses, children, yeah. spouses, yeah. exactly. Bosses. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. I can empathize on this, the spouse um, front. I'm very much the accelerator. Jaws is very much the break. My husband, where I'm like, yeah. all the things, let's yeah. da, 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 expand. He's like, slow down. And I'm like, what do you mean? We're going, we're doing this. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're the same. He's like, can we just take it back? Just take it back. Like, that yeah. is offensive. No, we cannot. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. You're going to make me flip my lid. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, awesome. Well, I still have probably like 10 questions that I could ask you, but I'm not going to. I'm going to wait and uh, maybe we can set up a part two because I have loved our conversation and I want to give you the time to be able to talk to our listeners about where to find you and how they can work with you because I know that you have the Spotlight series, you have Joyride, and you might have other things that I don't have written down right now. <laughs> so yeah, I'd love I've for got... you just to Oh, thank you. I so appreciate that. Um, so the best place to find me is probably my website, which is confidentwriter.online. I've got a membership program called Joyride, which the, the intention of that is to really be able to work with activation to be able to hold bigger experiences and bigger energies with your horse so this whole conversation is kind of like what what the basis of the joyride material is um yeah I'm, I'm about to so I was doing the spotlight sessions which were monthly sessions on different topics and I'm going to be continuing to do that and probably just changing them to different different names so it's not going to be all spotlight session but I'll be doing some live trainings um each month which I'm really excited about cool. and then um, there's one on where, one work as well, but basically on my website, the whole okay. shebang is there if you're interested. And I've got my podcast too, which I love. Yes, um, yes. the Confident Writer podcast. And I'm sorry, it's so lovely to talk to you, and because I know you're doing similar work and to share similar ethoses is really fun. Yeah, it it's fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on. And yes, check out Confident yeah, Writer yeah. podcast. My favorite episode. I think it was the second last episode that you released. No, it might have been further back. It was about positivity and catastrophizing. Catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. That was fantastic. You oh, spoke so clearly you. about it. I yeah, I listened to it and put a note in my phone that I needed to go back <laughs> and oh, re-listen to it. That's it's, so cool. Yeah. It's That's great. So cool. Isn't podcasting the most bizarre thing? You're sort of, for a oh. lot of the time, you're sitting there talking to yourself and then right. someone's like, oh, I listened to that. And you're like, really? I know. <laughs> Someone listened? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's really amazing to be able to reach all of these different ears. And then I kind of check out like where are the different places that people are listening from. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's really And to have really these cool conversations, experience. it's so fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. Have these conversations. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk further and, and hopefully we can kind of pick each other's brains a little bit because I feel like, uh, like you have so much to offer and I just appreciate it so much. Well, it sounds amazing. Likewise. Thank you, Nikki. Okay. All right. Well, you have a great day because it's nice and early where you are. It is 7.32 a.m. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm going to have a nice evening. It's 4.32 yesterday for you where I am. Yeah. 
I've lost track of time. I think it's Thursday here. I can't remember what day it is. (laughs) is. I'm not ready for Thursday yet. I'm I'm glad I'm still on Wednesday. Still got some time. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you, Jane. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. Oh, I just have to tell you, I cannot love that interview any more than I do. I smiled the entire time I listened to that interview back. I loved the conversation and I loved Jane's energy and I love her information. There were so many gems of knowledge there for you to take home and really ruminate on and feel into your work with your horses and your husband and your children and your wife and whoever else that you communicate with on the daily. If you enjoyed that interview and if you've listened to other episodes and you enjoy those too, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and a review if you feel so inclined. That is how you can help me as a podcaster make sure that my show is getting the credit that it deserves in order to keep on growing and just know that I appreciate you as a listener. And if you have any suggestions for upcoming shows or questions you'd like to have answered on the podcast, make sure you reach out to me at anywhere that I'm on social media. So if you're looking for me on Instagram, it's at Nikki Porter Coaching. And I believe in my last episode, I actually pitched the wrong Facebook. So it's actually at Nikki Porter Author for Facebook. So if you're looking for me, I'm there. I also have my personal page there. So if you can't find my business page, you're welcome to just PM me and I will uh, I will answer any questions that you have or respond to any feedback. So thanks again, and I'll see you next time on Take the Reins. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to NikkiPorter.ca. Thanks again for listening, and we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind.